you have all the evidence you need to make an informed decision. You've had the opportunity to make this decision. Do I believe in Jesus? Do I believe in the truth of that? Do I believe the historical evidence that's been provided for me by the witnesses, the eyewitnesses? Nowadays, they've been written down in four specific books. John wrote one of those providing evidence for who Jesus is. Now he writes his letter. This is his first of the three, at least as far as uh, our, our numbering system goes, anyway. He writes 1 John in an attempt not to convince people of the truth, but to tell people how to live out that truth, to tell us how to live righteously and walk in light and not darkness. What does that mean? What does that look like? John helps us to examine it. This is not supposed to be a book to convince you that Jesus has all the evidence behind him. We've seen the evidence in the Gospels. This is either to convince you to follow it, or to inf uh, this is either to tell you what you've committed to, or to tell you what you would be committing to if and when you do decide to follow the evidence to its logical conclusion. Jesus is right. He is real. The evidence all points us in that direction. Since Jesus is right, we need to live in a right manner. We need to live like him. We need to walk in light and not darkness, in the truth and not lies. And so last time we looked at this section, chapter 1 and verse 5, through chapter 2 in verse 2, and really we should extend that section out to what we'll look at today, going through verse 6, because this is pretty similar. I didn't um, have this in mind. I didn't have this in the whole uh, kind of diagram and scheme of things. But looking at it today, I see the connections, that this is really just the fourth entry in those three questions that John asked last time. What were those questions? Well, in verse 6, verse, uh, verse, six, verse 8, and verse 10 of chapter 1, we see this phrase, if we say, if we say, if we say. Well, what's the result of that? We have a claim, if we say something, then, well, what's the consequence of that? Well, it's never anything good. So if we say we have fellowship with him and yet we're walking in darkness, then the consequence of that is we are lying, not practicing the truth in verse 6. However, we have an alternative option in verse 7. We can walk in the light, and in verse 7, we have a reward for doing that. We have fellowship with one another, and we have cleansing from sin. And so you see this basic paradigm develop, the claim, the consequence, the alternate option, and the reward for it. I may not have used those words last time, but it's the same for concepts. We saw that in verses 6 and 7. We saw it in verses 8 and 9. We saw it in verse 10 and the first two verses of chapter 2. But now we're going to see the same thing as we go into verse 3. Let's start. We're just going to read this whole section. And then I'll only talk about this fourth, uh, this fourth set of four at the end of it. We'll start reading in verse 5 of chapter 1 and go through chapter 2 in verse 6. This is the message we heard from him and declare to you, 
God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say, we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with him and with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say, we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is how we know we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Here we have the same pattern as in chapter 1, verse 6, through chapter 2 in verse 2. And we have these same four elements. They're introduced in slightly a different way, and they're closed out in a slightly different way in rather a summary of the whole section. But here we have the same ideas. John starts chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. That was the conclusion, wasn't it? We're supposed to walk in light, chapter 1 and verse 7. We're supposed to confess sin in chapter 1 and verse 9. We're supposed to not sin in chapter 2 and verse 1. But why? And what does this give us? Well, he starts to address that in chapter 2 and verse 3 when he says, This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. John wants to remind us, his readers at that time and his readers nowadays, even far in the future, that you can have confidence in knowing Jesus. You can have confidence in knowing God himself. How is that confidence established? Well, John says it's through obeying him. How do we know that we know God or Jesus, his son? Well, it's through keeping his commands. If we keep his commands, we know that we know him. If we don't, we don't. But if we do, we do. What John is telling us is that we should obey because it gives us a confidence of God, a confidence and a knowledge of God that we can be totally satisfied and content that this is accurate and that this is right, that we know who God is. How? Because we keep his commandments. And this is an important point that I think we should insert and, and has to be made here. Sometimes we wait for knowledge before we start to obey. And you know, Christianity is often built like that. For most people, I would argue it's probably built like that, that we are supposed to be convinced and then we can make a decision. Why do you think there's so much historical evidence? Why do you think there are four different gospel accounts? Why do you think there is so much just secular history even that comments on Christianity 
and how much it's grown and how it's gone about doing it. We're supposed to be convinced by the evidence. We're supposed to be convinced by our knowledge. And that convincing and that knowledge is what should inspire our obedience. If this is all true, and since it convinces us, what can I do but obey? And often, and for many people, that is how the process works. But sometimes, it's obedience that inspires knowledge. Paul talks about, in, in Philippians uh, for one, Paul talks about gaining the peace that passes understanding. How do you get that? Well, it's not through understanding, because you can't understand it until you're actually living it. And sometimes we have to remember that while knowledge does inspire obedience, sometimes our obedience inspires our knowledge. And sometimes the only way to learn something is through the experiential process of living through it, of facing the consequences or the rewards that it gives, and seeing it for, who, for what it truly is, so that we can have fuller confidence in God. Sometimes we're told to step out on a limb and see that God catches us, because he will. Sometimes God makes his promises, God shows you that he has caught uh, everyone before, and now he's asking you to do the same thing. You have the knowledge that should inspire your obedience. Sometimes he's asking us to step out on the limb, and we're going to be the example, the knowledge inspiring others later on. Which one comes first for you? In different times and in different ways, all of us face both of these, and all of us respond to both of these. Knowledge inspires obedience, but obedience also inspires knowledge. And thus, when we say, Oh, I have come to know him. How do we know that we have come to know him? In verses 4 and 5, you have your set of four. You have the claim, the consequence, the alternate, and the reward. The claim is that I know him, but they're not obeying. And the consequence of that, of that double-sidedness, of that hypocrisy, the consequence of that is that you are a liar. You are without the truth, as Paul has been, as John, not Paul, as John has been repeating over and over again. You are a liar without the truth, and you don't have anything of the truth in you. Well, do we have an option other than that? Yes. Yes, we do. I can claim to know God, but if I don't obey, I am a liar without the truth. What's the alternate claim? You know what it is? It is, quite simply, just obey. Verse 5, whoever keeps his word, that's the alternative. Whoever keeps his word, here's the reward, truly in him the love of God is made complete. And this is how we know we are in him. You get two rewards out of pure obedience to God. Maybe the obedience comes from knowledge, Maybe the obedience comes before you know fully everything, but you get two rewards from it, which is that God's love is completed or perfected in you. You are showing the perfect epitome of God's love, which is a reward in and of itself. 
But secondly, we get to have the confidence that we are in him and that we are secure. If you don't obey the words of God, you can never be truly confident that you are saved and that you are with him and that you are on his team or on his side. If you never obey the words of God, how can you be close to him? How can you have hope in the future if you do not obey the words of the Lord? What John says here is just obey. And by obedience, you can have confidence that you are in him. I know him, and I don't obey. That's lying. You're without the truth. Alternately, you could just obey, and then you know you know him. You don't have to make any far-fetched claims. You don't have to make any exaggerations, but you can instead state with confidence, oh, yes, I know him, and be confident and blessed in that. John finishes up this section in verse 6 with a summation of really all of chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2 in verse 5. He says, The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. The one who is who claims to be with God should, in fact, be like Jesus and be like God. That's how you earn it. When you look at verse 5 of chapter 1, the opening verse to this whole section, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. So the one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. That's chapter 2 in verse 6, the perfect capstone to this whole section. God is light, so be like him. And the entire section in between is John's emphasis four times over, you cannot claim to be his and not live it out. If you do, you are a liar, you are in the darkness, you've abandoned the truth, you have no hope, you are without God, and that is not going to end well. On the other hand, you can walk in the light, you can be like him, you can have the truth, and living like that will be a blessed existence. If you are convinced by the testimony about Jesus, this is how you have to live. How do you live according to the truth of the gospel? It's very simple, really, when you break it down. There are all sorts of rules in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament that have binding principles anyway, or or guiding principles, I should say. It's probably a better way to phrase that. But how do I live out the truth of the gospel? Is there kind of a one-sentence answer? Yes, there is. Do you know what it is? Don't be a hypocrite. Live according to God. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Listen to the truth and live it out. Any of those, those are, what, four sentences? Simple ideas, but that's the core of the life of a Christian. That's what we're called to do. That's how we're called to act. And it's all based originally from the knowledge of who Jesus is. Sometimes before we understand the peace of Jesus, sometimes before we understand the blessings, we have to start living it out. 
and obedience will inspire that knowledge. But our obedience stems firstly from the evidence that God has given us in the character of Jesus as displayed through the four different gospels written by four different men, but all masterminded by the Holy Spirit. And one of them even written by John. That whole lifestyle of not hypocrisy, that whole lifestyle of just being a legitimate Christian, of being like Jesus, of living in the light, of walking in the truth, that shouldn't be a surprise to us. It shouldn't at all. Jesus was pushing that when he was here on earth, and now that he's gone from the earth anyway, he still advocates that his followers should follow that. That's what sets us apart as being true followers instead of fake. Shouldn't be a surprise to us. And as we look into verse 7 starting next week, um, yeah, well, it's not a surprise at all. John will cover that, and we'll get to it. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Hope there's something beneficial in here. God bless. I'll see you next time.